Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. I'm Damien Fantato, Deputy Editor of Financial Advisor. Europe has been the main or only topic of conversation in this country for a few months now. But don't panic, we're not here to talk about Norway Plus or the Malthouse Compromise or WTO terms. Instead, we're going to discuss the outlook for the continent as several of its economies look to be struggling. Here to chat with me about this is Anna Stupnitska, Global Economist at Fidelity. Hello, Anna. Hello, and thank you for having me. And David Thorpe, Investment Reporter at FT Advisor. Hello, David. Hello there. Thank you. Um, so Italy looks like it's, um, well, Italy is in recession, um, and it's often been touted as uh, the country that's going to bring the house of cards tumbling down. Anna, what do you uh, think about that? I think uh, in the long term, uh, this is probably a, uh, a correct uh, risk to talk about. Uh, obviously, it's a big economy. Uh, there's been very little structural reform um, and um, uh, we know the difficulties uh, on the political side uh, and actually uh, all the uncertainty around politics uh, that we had through last year resulted partly partly accounted for uh, the, the current slowdown and recession that the country is going through. Um, not much has been fixed uh, in the crisis or since the crisis um, and that's why um, Italy is the biggest risk and will probably remain the biggest risk uh, for uh, the, the survival of the euro area as a whole. However, in the short term, I think um, there are some supportive forces uh, that will help uh, stabilize the economy. Uh, so I don't think uh, this is the, the big risk to think about right now, or at least over the next 12 months. Mm. What's the core of the problem in Italy? Is it the populist government? Is it the banking issue? Is it just the fact that its economy is a bit pants? That's I think it's everything. Um, it, it's uh, obviously uh, debt is very high, so the public finances uh, are not in a good uh, shape. You have the populist government on top. Uh, you have very little reform um, over the past 10 years. If you compare to countries where reform and, in, in, and adjustment has actually happened, like Spain or Portugal, these are the countries that are now growing at decent, at decent rates. Um, Italy has not adjusted, um, and partly, uh, partly this is due to the competitiveness differential. But of course, if you are uh, in the uh, single currency area, the only way uh, to adjust is, is through real, um, real uh, adjustment, real denomination, rather than uh, currency devaluation. Um, and Italy has not done that. This is the real issue, um, and at some point. And it, it will have to, to adjust, but it, it will probably be in the next crisis. Mm. Uh, David, what do you think? The statistic, I guess, that, that uh, highlights Italy's problem is that uh, its GDP per capita has not really grown at all since 1999 when the uh, euro came along. And, you know, there are uh, countries all over the world, emerging market and frontier market economies, that have obviously seen very rapid rates of growth in that time, as well, of course, as other 
Eurozone and European countries. The big challenge, I agree with Anna that uh, the, the long-term risks are there, but in the short term, the uh, the EU authorities have a, have a great ability to muddle through. One of the big challenges that Italy has is, uh, is, is demographics, is um, ageing populations, uh, which which means uh, that the economy gets slightly less productive um, every year because the productive pool of, of, of labour falls. In other economies, as Anna mentioned, they have uh, taken initiatives to, to liberalise markets, which increases productivity. Um, this doesn't this hasn't happened in in Italy and the constant uh, political churn with uh, governments frequently changing um, and elections always on the horizon doesn't help that uh, to be achieved which is one of the reasons I guess why Italy can't get that escape velocity that uh, Spain Portugal and uh, to some extent Ireland have had uh, do you think the populist government is likely to make things better worse well, they they certainly have um, an an approach uh, which is which is different uh, to some extent to those other countries I just mentioned. They uh, they seem determined to pursue uh, fiscal stimulus, high, higher government spending to to as much of an extent as they they can. That should um, uh, that could deliver a uh, a short term sort of boost. Maybe it would be enough to to pu- push Italy out of uh, recession. But the structural problems would take uh, very radical measures and probably qu- quite a, a significant period of time uh, to to be resolved and are probably um, a greater task than any one government can achieve in, in any one uh, country mm-hmm. in the time frame that governments sure. normally get. Yeah. Uh, and then that, that stalwart of, of European growth, Germany, now looks to be uh, letting us down. Uh, what's going on here? This um, uh, slowdown that we've seen in Germany has actually been uh, um, quite nuanced in in the sense that uh, it has not been broad-based across sectors uh, within Germany. It hasn't been actually broad-based across countries within the Euro area. Um, And specifically, there's been uh, two headwinds that um, um, have driven the slowdown. One is uh, weakness in external demand, and those countries and sectors that are particularly exposed to that have been hit uh, quite hard. So obviously Germany and German manufacturing uh, are the best examples of that. Um, and the second headwind uh, has been uh, certain country-specific factors. And we said in Italy, um, uh, partly it was the political uncertainty. In Germany, uh, it was uh, uh, regulation and the move towards new emission standard um, that uh, was introduced in uh, September of last year. And that actually hit the auto industry pretty hard um, and resulted in uh, quite a significant slowdown at the same time as the global auto sector, and particularly the, the China auto sector, um, uh, was also slowing. Uh, and that's why this uh, sort of double shock uh, that has hit, uh, hit uh, the auto sector in Germany and German manufacturing more generally, uh, that resulted in a pretty sharp slowdown. Um, and in a sense, as, as we look forward, 
Um, and uh, as these headwinds um, reverse, um, I think it's reasonable to expect some stabilization uh, in manufacturing uh, and uh, in, in Germany more generally as we move through the year. And very interestingly, I said that uh, it has been quite nuanced. If you look at the sectors that are more domestically exposed, particularly services, there's been a lot of resilience there. Um, so uh, domestic de demand overall has been quite resilient and slowed down or, or to some extent, but this weakness has mainly come from the external sector. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how meaningful would you would you say what what's going on in Germany is, broadly speaking? I get the impression you don't think it's particularly meaningful. I think, I think it is meaningful. I think uh, it has the potential to drive the economy into recession if this continues. Um, but um, a lot depends on China. I think if uh, activity in China continues deteriorating and the stimulus that has been introduced so far proves ineffective, um, then, uh, of course, this resilience between manu uh, manufacturing versus services within Germany will not be... Uh, will not last for a long time and there will be uh, passed through uh, from weaker manufacturing into the labor market and into services. So I do think it's very important and I do think it has the ability to drive the economy into recession. But it's not my base case. I think uh, the China stimulus, even though it's much smaller than what we saw in previous episodes, um, is still perhaps sufficient to engineer some stabilization and growth there. Uh, I don't expect a big bounce in activity, but at least stabilization and perhaps a, a moderate reversion in that growth momentum in China should start fitting through into external demand and help the manufacturing sector in Germany. And then, of course, the one of factors, one of which I quoted um, uh, was the uh, disruption in the uh, auto industry in Germany, should also start fading over time. Um, so my base case is that of stabilization and growth pickup, but I do think the slowdown is serious enough uh, to, to, to warrant some concerns. And, and of course, the ECB pivot that we've seen th uh, since the start of the year has been partly motivated by that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and David, Anna mentioned external factors uh, affecting Germany and the auto industry. Um, how much of, of an impact do you think these, this trade war is going to have on Europe? Obviously, the USA and China are the most m commonly mentioned parties, I suppose. But what do you think its well, impact is going to be on Europe? The, the big uh, potential uh, downside risk there is if uh, the US and China reach, reach some sort of um, accord where China agrees to uh, buy more U.S. goods to get that trade surplus down, but if it bu and, but by buying more of the U.S. goods, it buys less or fewer uh, European uh, goods, and that creates a sort of longer-term uh, problem uh, in 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 that way. Uh, the second uh, potential issue, perhaps with 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 trade, is as I mentioned earlier, the um, whenever there are trade disputes. Uh, they tend to be uh, inflationary. Uh, they tend to put the cost of trade up. Uh, economies that are very export-led, such as Germany, uh, would not particularly like barriers to trade. That Structurally, that's very bad for the German economy. Uh, Anna, do you um, agree? What do you think the impacts of the trade war are going to be on the wider, uh, on the wider European economy? 
I think so far we have already seen the impact on sentiment, um, the the indirect impact to some extent, but uh, perhaps also a, a direct impact via China and what happened to demand in China. Um, and that has partly accounted for this uh, broader slowdown um, in in Europe. Uh, obviously, the biggest risk uh, right now is the threat of um, direct tariffs on uh, European goods and particularly on cars um, and something that uh, Trump has already mentioned a few times. Um, if it remains a threat, uh, it will probably not have a big impact, but uh, if if it goes into the actual uh, policy action, um, that will add another layer of complexity to the outlook and certainly another risk uh, that perhaps will not allow Germany um, escape uh, currently very low or perhaps zero rates of growth. So I certainly think it's a big risk. And the European Central Bank recently left interest rates on hold at record lows. Um, what, Anna, do you think the options are for the ECB? I think that uh, there are options on either side. Certainly, according to Mario Draghi, they have plenty of instruments. Um, if uh, data continues de deteriorating and inflation expectations continue falling and there is a, a, some risk of de-anchoring, uh, there are certainly there will be certainly big decisions that will need to be made uh, on the ECB side. Um, on the menu of options, I think there is certainly QE going back to quantitative easing. Uh, perhaps with some flexible targets and restrictions around how much of uh, which issuer they can buy. Um, so that can be done uh, in terms of government bonds, but also certainly corporate bonds as well. Um, also, um, another policy option that um, has been floated a few times is uh, uh, yield curve control, something that uh, Japan has done, and I think the ECB consider that policy attempt to be quite successful. Uh, of course, uh, it's extremely complicated in Europe because you don't have one yield curve that uh, uh, you can target. Uh, but I guess they'll cross that bridge uh, uh, some other day. Um, so th there are big easing options, but I think the bar for that is extremely high right now. And obviously, there's no appetite for that. We would really need to see some big shock going through the system and not just Italy going into recession or Germany going going into a sort of a shallow recession, but the whole of the euro area going into recession and expe inflation expectations de-anchoring. Um, I think uh, the probability of this scenario right now is relatively low. On the other side, uh, of course, there are policy options uh, and uh, we roughly know the sequence. Um, and I think um, it's more likely, and actually it is my base case, that the ECB will be in the position next year, in 2020, uh, to start uh, thinking about bringing rates back to zero. So I expect uh, uh, two hikes uh, uh, throughout the course of next year, uh, where rates are bro brought back to zero. And then, of course, they might start thinking about um, uh, some unwinding of the balance sheet. But I think that's too far into the future right now. Mm -hmm. David, you agree? 
One of the uh, challenges that the ECB does have is interest rates are already um, in, in negative uh, territory and that obviously restricts you you know if you compare that to the to the uh, to the UK if the UK faced um, a, a recessionary uh, outlook in in the near term one of the options open to the Bank of England pretty immediately is to put interest rates down obviously the ECB can can cut further but when interest rates are negative it's highly debatable about what impact that has in the in the uh, in the real economy uh, nobody I mean nobody nobody really knows I guess so that's one of that that's one fewer a uh, piece of kit, I guess they have uh, than than other uh, economies have. If there is a if there is a problem, and they have the long term problem with the with the eurozone, as as Anna mentioned, that uh, each country and each economy is in a slightly different place. So each one needs um, bond yields to be in a different place, inflation to be in a different place, uh, public spending to be in a different place, and trying to uh, unite or marry all of those together is 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 really tricky and a and a real challenge for the ECB if conditions do deteriorate from here. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think they're likely to do going forward? Just some wild speculation. I th I think the um I th I think the big 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 thing there is that uh, Mario Draghi is actually leaving his role uh, next year um and the candidate uh, so whoever whichever candidate takes over would be um could could well take a, a different route but there are um there are really only the options that that Anna has uh, has described already uh, which is which is more more QE but perhaps in a more uh, nuanced or or targeted way to take into account that fact that uh, each economy in the eurozone has slightly different uh, needs or 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 priorities um so it'll, it'll be something along those lines I, I would have thought I mean, it would be something uh, fiendishly fiendishly complicated as these things tend to be <laughs> and I know uh, overall uh, how, how are you feeling about your positive negative I guess it depends on the time horizon. Um, over the next few months, uh, I think moderately positive. Um, again, I don't think we're going into broad recessionary environment unless there is uh, a big shock. Uh, perhaps uh, China continuing slowing uh, or um, uh, tariffs, as we discussed, uh, directly on European goods. Or we we don't want to, to mention this, but I want to say Brexit, uh, and depending on how that unfolds. Um, but I think moderately positive over the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Uh, beyond that, structural issues remain. And the familiar bear case is that uh, there's been no progress on the important parts uh, um, of the union, such as the banking union, or little progress, banking union, capital markets union, uh, European safe asset, obviously Italy uh, is a big risk, as we discussed. I do think that there is a little bit more understanding now that uh, progress is critical on these areas to maintain the project intact. Uh, I do think there is more unity on that within within Europe. Um, and so I'm perhaps a bit more positive on the fact that we might see progress on those areas. And of course, the fact that the ECB has uh, more tools that 
than di- than they did in the last crisis. The, there is the program, for example, the OMT program uh, for some for a country like Italy uh, that can go into the program and. Um, with with some conditionality on the terms that are more favorable that than what the IMF can provide, for example, um, and uh, so there there are some firewalls and mechanisms that they have been developed, um, but I think there will be another crisis at some point, and there will be reform in the crisis, uh, but I'm quite optimistic that the euro area can stay intact at least over the next decade or so. Mm-hmm. And David. I, I think the um, <clears throat> the question of whether the uh, euro area can can stay in, intact will 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 plague us for a long time. In terms of the immediate term prospects, it it really does depend on on what happens with with uh, with China. Perhaps a, a, a wild card scenario in in there is um, uh, the German economy has has suffered as as Anna mentioned due to uh, demand for for German cars weakening in in China. Perhaps uh, a longer-term issue there could be uh, a move towards um, electric cars. China is a uh, is at the forefront of of this in terms of Chinese domestic producers, but also in terms of targets around environment. There's a, a big smog uh, issue there, so the Chinese government are very keen to have um, electric cars and whether the European car makers can maintain the very strong market share that they've got in traditional autos. Uh, and and high-end autos uh, in an environment where the world is shifting to electric cars could be a, a, a big determinant uh, in maybe in the medium term of what happens um, in the eurozone. Shorter term, I guess the um, it, it doesn't feel like it maybe uh, these days, but perhaps the politics is not as as bad as as uh, in in the very short term as maybe it has been in in other years. Uh, there are. Um, there are European Parliament um, elections, but in terms of domestic elections and perhaps a, a more populist or maverick candidate getting elected, that doesn't seem to be on the immediate term um, horizon anywhere, and that would provide some stability. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Anna. Thank you. And thank you, David. Thank and you. Thank you for joining us and tune in again soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 